Let me preface this by saying that your Iowa test scores are intimidating. So let's go over this again. What exactly did you say to Ms. Farmer? I'll tell you what he said. He asked me to forcibly insert the lifeline exercise cart into my anus. <laughs> what is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rotten Potatoes, a podcast with uh, four, three of my very best friends. And uh, we're talking about movies that you absolutely should have seen. And this week we're doing Donnie Darko. So if you thought my Memento episode was confusing, just wait for this one. <laughs> Did you say uh, four because you're like having daytime hallucinations? Because Frank is here with us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so. You guys can't see him. I can see him. Anyways, cool. <laughs> uh, I'm Jake. I think Frank is somewhere in between me and Zach. I'm Tyler, and I can confirm that Frank is somewhere in between Jake and Zach. I'm Scott, and there's four Franks in this room. <laughs> <laughs> and one Danny. And one, one, and Danny. one Danny. Sick callback. <clears throat> Yeah, so we're going to be talking about Donnie Darko. Yeah. I nominated this movie. Can I just jump into why I nominated it? Yeah, and we can do just the facts after that. I nominated this movie. Um, well, I, f I think it, it fits that you absolutely should have seen it. Um, not in the same way that maybe Ghostbusters did, but uh, this movie definitely has kind of become a, a cult classic. It was one that I watched back in high school. I watched it a couple times, and it... Uh, left a, a big impact on me. I loved it at the time. I thought it was like super cool and creative and crazy. Um, watching it this time, I was a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie. It's a little cheesier than I remember. Mm. Some of the, the dialogue is a little clunky and awkward. Some of the acting is a little like kind of cheesy and over the top. Um, and I was maybe like 15, 20 minutes in this movie kind of thinking like, oh man, did I make a mistake? Like the other guys are going to hate this. Like they're going to rip it apart. It's not that great. But by the end of it, I was like, I still really like it. I thought it was a fun time. I think it's fun really trying to figure out what it means or Jake that's a hot take. Well, Jake that it's a fun time. Like fun time. Threw back. Jake threw back in his chair as you said fun time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's eerie. It's a fun time for me. It is, but I don't know. That kind of stuff, like I like movies that do kind of make me feel a little uncomfortable. Uh and like it's creepy. It is weird. And all that is just fun for me to watch because I think a lot of movies aren't really that way. Or I guess a lot of movies that I'm watching aren't really that. Um, but more, I, what I meant to say is like it's fun to try to like make sense of it too. Oh, sure. And yeah. like figure out what does this mean? What is this? Like how how does it connect and whatnot? It's fun also seeing all these random stars who are now a big deals. Like Asha Tisdale and Crazy Steve. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Crazy Steve, uh, famously known from Drake and Josh. Yeah. And, and iCarly. iCarly. Yeah. He's I don't know who Ashley Tisdale is. I don't either. London Tipton. No, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. She's not London Tipton. She's the she's the, oh she's the yeah, cashier. Yeah, yeah. Or she's, she works there. Yeah, I confuse Disney the names. Channel. I don't know any of this stuff. It's a yeah. Disney Channel. She's in, stars. she's in High School Musical too. I she's, never watched High School Musical either. Okay, well, a lot of people did. Um, but yeah, no, I I still really enjoy this movie. Um, I think it uh it has some nostalgia for me too. I guess for this era that I was obviously never a part of sure but i like 80s stuff the same as everyone else does um and that part's fun for me too it has a great soundtrack and i liked it so a uh, little bit of just the facts uh, and then we'll hear uh from everybody else uh this was written and directed by richard kelly 
this was his first feature film. He uh, was as old as I am today. Yeah, he was only 24 when he made this, which is, to me, really impressive that, uh, like, when I think of, no offense, Jake, but when I think of a 24-year-old, like, directing, uh, like, a, a studio feature film, uh, that's pretty mind-blowing to me. No, it bums me out a little bit to think about it. Because you're not you're doing not. that? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. what What am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's that's impressive. I mean, the DP, the director of photography, uh, was, you know, like, a big deal already at that point. And it's like, he's, you know, working with a director who's done nothing, you know? It's pretty like, cool. It's very cool that... Uh, Especially that he made a movie that has since become such a big cult classic and has yeah. kind of become... To a lot of people, a big deal. Yeah, very, very iconic for sure. It was released uh, at Sundance, like Zach, uh, I think already... Oh, no, you didn't mention this. We Not were just yet. talking about it offline. But it was released uh, at Sundance uh, on January of 2001. Uh, and it was it actually did really poorly at Sundance. Mm. And then when it got released in theaters, because of the whole plane crash thing, it did really poorly in major box offices but even at sundance it wasn't super well received it's interesting you say that because while i was doing so i i don't know the official runtime i think it's like an hour 56 minutes or something yeah. like that mm -hmm. but when i was doing some research for it apparently when it premiered at sundance it was like two hours and 45 minutes yeah and so, and I remember reading that Richard Kelly actually thinks that the theatrical release is the better cut oh. because it includes some ambiguity. And yeah. I think he liked that. Yeah. So I wonder if the, I haven't seen the director's cut, obviously, but apparently it's very similar to the cut that premiered at Sundance. I wonder if it was just a little too bogged down with all the logic and science and yeah. Yeah. Personally, I could have used uh, a little more bogging down. I wouldn't have minded that too. Honestly, you're, you're like you're talking about how much you like trying to figure it out. I don't think they gave you hardly anything to figure out anything from. You're not wrong. So like, I that, that's no fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's fair. Sure, that's fair. So like I said, it did not. It was not received well. Uh, it made seven point six million in box office uh, off of a four million dollar budget. So it barely recouped its budget. Mm. But after the fact, it did super well uh, in uh, DVD sales. It was massive in England. Um, like it, it took longer for America to really pick it up. Although New York ran it in theaters for like after they, they like re-released it uh, in theaters. And it ran for like 36 weeks in a lot of wow. theaters in New York. Um so, I mean, it, it did really well after the fact. It just did terribly uh, in the moment. And Richard Kelly even talked about, like, you know, it released in, like, uh, major theaters after 9-11. And it's, yeah. like, movies, I think, for a lot of people were an afterthought. Sure. In the wake of 9-11. Like, people just weren't doing that kind of stuff. And they didn't advertise it very much either. Right. Because of 9-11. Because, yeah, there's a... A plane crash is a major movie, part of the yeah, movie. Exactly. Oh, I didn't catch that. Just <laughs> kidding. Uh, it looks like it was received well critically. I don't know when yeah. the Rotten Tomato or the other guys. I'm sorry. We can cut that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And like IMDb, I don't know Let's when just they bleep uh, it. Yeah, we'll yeah. bleep it. Yeah. I don't know when they actually like make their scores or if they change them later. But it got 87 percent from the other guys. And yeah. Eight from IMDb, which is high for IMDb. 
Eight is very really solid high, for IMDb. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, it didn't really, because of everything that happened, it didn't really get a whole lot of uh, award coverage. Um, but, you know, again, it just, it was kind of poor timing for the movie. So, yeah. So that's uh, that's a little bit of just the facts. We already heard from Zach. I've seen this movie before. Uh, and I, I really do like Donnie Darko. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I agree with you, Zach. Like, I think one of the things that I love about it is that it's a little like quirky, mm-hmm. like it's just a little offbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it feels very much like an indie film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't realize until we were, you know, doing research for this, um, it feels like it was an indie film because in a lot of ways it was, Yeah, uh, like this was a first time writer, first time director, you know, people just loved the script that, you know, as it started to get shopped around, uh, Hollywood and, and there were like, just like the people who got on board with it were just such big fans that they were throwing money at it because they just wanted it to succeed. Like specifically, like uh, you were saying off air, like Drew Barrymore and Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. Yeah. So Jason Schwartzman, uh, was, uh, immediately loved it and signed on to, uh, play Donnie Darko on the heels of Rushmore, Mm. uh, which for those who don't know, Rushmore was, uh, like a really like, um, seminal film for, um, Wes Anderson, for Wes Anderson, and for Jason Schwartzman, yeah, but but for Wes Anderson in particular, it was, it was really what like because I think before Rushmore it was just Bottle Rocket, which was totally indie. I think so, yeah. And then Rushmore mm-hmm. was you know in theaters, it was well received. Studios really liked Jason Schwartzman at the time. Had Bill Murray. Had Bill Murray. So he, uh, Jason Schwartzman, was just coming off of that. He really liked the film, and so he not only signed on to play Donnie, um, but he signed on as a producer as well. Uh, and he got the script in front of Drew Barrymore and I can't remember who her partner was, uh, at their studio. Um, but it's like, like bloom house or flower house or something like that. Um, but, uh, Drew Barrymore became like the person that really like captained making this happen. Like she was the champion of Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she was the one who went around and got other people involved. Even after Jason Schwartzman had to, uh, like drop, leave, out. drop out. Uh, she sat down with Richard Kelly and said, I'm making this for you. And we're, we're just going to make it happen. It's really interesting that she was like, I guess so important in it. Cause she felt the most out of place to me in the whole movie. Like, mm. I feel like you could have mostly, you could have lifted her out of the movie entirely. And Mm. I feel like it wouldn't have been that different. Like her character was a little inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. I liked her character. And I think that some of their conversations in their classroom, uh, deal with a lot of the themes of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, she kind of felt like a little bit of like the heart of the movie, Mm -hmm. her and Gretchen together. I think, um, you're right. Like it is, she probably didn't need to be in the movie, but I like the scene where she is getting fired mm-hmm. and she's trying to tell them like, this isn't the way to like teach these students or like mm-hmm. I, she's, she, you can tell that she really cares about the students. And I just like that addition mm-hmm. the movie and I like her character. Well, Richard Kelly like stole, like plagiarized a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of writers do, especially their first time uh, or their first, you know, 
work. Mm-hmm. Um, but he plagiarized a lot of people uh, in his life and a lot of experiences into the into the writing of this movie. And I he didn't I, I haven't heard him specifically say this, but I would imagine that uh, that teacher was probably one of those people. Mm. like someone who was important to him that, mm-hmm. you know, an English teacher that really, yeah. you know, it's interesting that you brought up Jason, how he almost played Donnie as well. As we were doing some research, uh, I came across that, um, Mark Wahlberg <laughs> expressed interest in playing Donnie Darko. Jake, your favorite person, right? Yeah. Like he would have just killed it. You know, he would have been so terrible. Like, this would have made more than 6.7 million, 7.6 million dollars. Uh, yeah. You know, like, Maybe he would have killed it, but geez, he would have been actually, you know what? I could, I can kind of see it now. Like a younger Mark Wahlberg. He did kind of do really some, see it a little bit. Oh, like, I mean, he did boogie nights. Yeah. And so he did do some, like, I'm thinking now action star Mark, Mark Wahlberg, but he didn't start off like that. Right. And so you're right. He, like uh, the funky bunch, the funky bunch. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But DJ apparently Mark he wanted Mark. to play yeah. Donnie with a lisp and that was his like, his uh, non-negotiable yeah exactly what a weird hill to die on you know yeah <laughs> and then they were uh really going for vince vaughn to play him too but vince vaughn was 31 at the time and donnie's 16 well they probably saw back to the future and they're like we can do this <laughs> or any other movie like at that time like age was never really an issue but apparently it was for vince vaughn because he said like i can't play a 16 year old good on you vince yeah yeah, good on you, Vince, for sure. Uh, so uh, we ended up getting uh, um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm sorry, I was blinking on his name. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I do too. And I love Jake Gyllenhaal. This yeah. was right on the heels for him of <laughs> this. <laughs> this was right on the heels of 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 Jake Gyllenhaal of October Sky, um, which was his like debut. Really, like he had done some work as a young kid. Um, but October sky was his, you know, kind of like lead, uh, you know, breakout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and this was only a couple of years later. And so he was, he was 21 at the time, um, which, you know, makes a lot more sense for a teenager than Vince Vaughn, who was probably in his thirties. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, once again, it's just crazy to me that we have this 21 year old lead actor being directed by a 24 year old freshman director. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's, it's wild to me that this film made it, you know, that, that it was ever actually created. Yeah. Um, but they, they loved him. Like as soon as he came on and read for, for it, they, they really liked Gyllenhaal. Uh, and I can tell why. I mean, they, they said that uh, the the DP was talking about, like, uh, in this, like, sort of documentary piece that I saw about the movie, that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, like, really understood the, like, the camera frame and, like, how mm. he needed to, like, be in the in the camera. Um, and he was just like, yeah, the, the, this kid was amazing. Like, he was a master. Uh, even at that age. Well, we heard uh, how you feel about it, Tyler. Yeah, and everyone knows how I feel about it. So I'm I'm ready to hear the late bloomers takes. Yeah, let's uh, let's start with Scott. Let's do one of the segments where you guys guess what I thought of the movie. Okay, well, in that case, then we'll start with Jake, and then we'll all guess. I just want to say first, I'm thrilled to not be the only late bloomer. You know, <laughs> like, it's an honor. Thank you, thank You're you Scott, for never watching this movie. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> 
but I'm surprised this wasn't one of the movies you watched with with your dad on Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Donnie was, da- he, Dave's not a huge Donnie Darko fan. It's just never on TBS. He just doesn't like doing <laughs> it. If it was on TBS, I probably would have seen it already. Oh, uh, I never watched this movie kind of on purpose. Like I heard it was really weird and whatever, and I I I didn't have a fun time. Uh, I think that like they did not, they didn't give you enough to know anything about what was happening. So I left the movie and I was like, I don't know what that was even really about. And so I had to, I Googled it and I'm reading articles and then I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But that to me is bad story. It should be in the movie. Yeah. Like I should have everything I need in the movie. You shouldn't have to Google. Yeah. Like what explanations, what was Johnny Darko actually about? I, uh, I was kind of doing the same thing a little bit too. And one article linked me to the original Donnie Darko website. And on the original Donnie Darko website, there's a tab that says explanation. Yeah. <laughs> like they knew like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And if so you want to know here. So like to me, like I, I shouldn't have to do extra work. And so like, I don't think that this was like, I think that that was rough. I think but, that's a fair critique. Um, I did like, there were things I kind of like, like moments I enjoyed and like, I usually don't like like eerie kind of spooky, but like there were, I was like, Oh, this is like really kind of cool. Like the eerie and Mm -hmm. I, I I liked parts of it, but overall I was just like, uh, I'm not, I'm not feeling it because I was so confused. I do have a a nice hot take on it though, that I think you're going to hate. I don't know if I should save it. Do you want to do it right now or later? I don't know. I think, uh, I think this movie is, is it, um, is it tied to a particular plot point? No. Then, then yeah, let's yeah. hear it. Let's hear it. I think that this is just a really edgy hipster Napoleon Dynamite. Wow. Like, I can, okay. it's, it's so weird, so quirky. Uh, Patrick Swayze is basically Rex Quando, uh, you know, and then like, like Deb and uh, Gretchen. I, I, it was just so weird and like didn't make any sense to me that I was like, I feel like I'm watching Napoleon Dynamite. Like his sister doing her dancing. I was like, this is Happy Hands Club the whole way. There's more connections than I would have guessed. Yeah. I, uh, I was, that's kind of the feeling I got from it. Hmm. Maybe, uh, what's his face, uh, that made Napoleon dynamite was like, I want to make a, uh, lighthearted Donnie Darko. Just like more, accessible, <laughs> more accessible Donnie Darko. More accessible. He I mean, didn't work to make it that much more accessible. <laughs> he did not. He I cut would... out the time travel. And that's enough for me. He that's also took true. away what little plot there was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but that's how I felt. I was like, is there a plot to this movie? Because by the end I was like, I feel like I'm just watching things. I don't know how they connect to each other. I don't know what I'm like. I don't know what's going on. Mm. And I, I left the movie. I was like, all right. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I feel like I understand your criticism and I think it's a fair criticism. And usually I would have the same one, but for some reason there's enough there that I enjoy without needing to know exactly how everything makes sense that I'm okay with it by the end. Yeah. I, I think it's fair. I, I don't know that I agree, but I, I get it. I think it's fair. Like I, I could definitely like even watching it for the first time and watching it again. Um, like I definitely know the plot of the movie at least. I don't know why any of it happened and like I will get into it yeah. I think as it goes on and but like there are just like there's like terms I'm I'm reading articles with like all right these are the abbreviations for these different things because we're gonna they're long words and we're gonna be using them a lot <laughs> and it's just like I 
I don't tangent universe. Yeah, it's like the and the PU and the 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 manipulated living and manipulated dead. Yeah, and the living receiver. And I was like, terms that are like hardly used in the movie. I don't think they're never used. Yeah, exactly. Like at all, (laughs) they may have been in the director's cut. I think that there is a lot more like explanation in the director's cut. Yeah, I might like honestly like watching the movie. I might have liked the director's cut better. Usually, I'm not like, oh, let's make it longer with a movie that I'm like really iffy about. Yeah, but maybe if it was longer. I would have liked it better. I want to watch the director's cut at some point. Yeah, I own it, so feel free. Awesome. All right, what do you guys think Scott thought of this movie? (laughs) I think he didn't think it's great, but I don't think he hated it. I think he enjoyed the experience. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, I don't, I think that, I don't, I don't think Scott is ever going to watch this movie again. And I, I don't think he liked it, but I don't think he hated it, if I had to guess. I actually think Scott liked it. Well, you watched it with him. Yeah, you? but he didn't like. He didn't give me any reason to think that. And Scott's okay. a hard read. He's yeah. a hard read, yeah. And Tyler he, even asked me at the end, like, hey, what do you think happened? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, you're not alone. Apparently, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal and Seth Rogen, who is also in this movie. Spoilers. Said yet, yeah. <laughs> apparently, debut. they both admitted after the movie wrapped that they had no idea what the movie's about. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of this movie, Scott? Late bloomer. I actually kind of liked it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. cool. Uh, I thought there was enough plot as well. Uh, and I was, I mean, I followed it. I knew it was happening. I saw it progressing, which is very different than Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, this will be scored significantly higher than Napoleon Dynamite. It's a low bar, but yeah. 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 Um, I would watch it again. Uh, it was one of those movies where, like, yeah, there was thing, a lot of things I didn't know, um, but I was paying attention the whole time. It, like, it kept me there. It, I never was, like, bored with it. I never was, like, I have better stuff to do. Like, I was <laughs> I was there watching the whole time through the whole movie. So it kept me engaged, which was really good. I wondered, I know you hate horror and mm-hmm. scary things. I wondered if parts of this would almost, like, be too scary. <laughs> well, I, well, yeah. It so, started out. <laughs> so Tyler... D- didn't even like it. What the movie didn't even start yet. He was just like scrolling over the movie. And I was like, Tyler, is this a horror movie? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not. It's not horror. It's just, yeah. it's just like, it's a suspense. Like it's weird. It's uh-huh. sci-fi. Like, the, did the it scare art, you at all? Or were you? No. no, the art is like Jake Gyllenhaal with an ax and then guy in scary bunny costume behind him. Right? Like that's the thumbnail. Uh, well, our, our art that we had on Apple TV is just uh Frank in the bunny costume surrounded by like a bunch of like, bats or like it's like a tunnel type look like like it looks a lot that looks more horror. ominous it looks yeah, like it looks it like horror. Horror oh yeah, yeah for sure for sure yeah i think the thumbnail that we have is like the 10th anniversary special okay. edition um art uh but yeah no i i even texted zach uh like about halfway through and i was like i think scott actually likes donnie darko <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like i do agree like it kept me entertained like it kept me paying attention but by the end of the movie, like I thought there was going to be a payoff. Yeah. And so then when I hit the end and I was like, what did any of this really mean? Then I was disappointed. It's funny. I, uh, the other day we were talking about it before Scott watched it and I kind of was like flip flopping. Like I was like, neither of them are going to like it. And then I was like, Scott's going to hate it, but Jake's going to like it. Like, you know, I, I was all over the place. I didn't know what you'd think. So. I didn't know that uh, I knew next to nothing about this movie. Like I didn't even know Jake Gyllenhaal was the lead. And so we started, I was like, wow, I, I love either. Jake Gyllenhaal. And yeah. then I'm looking and I'm like, 
that Patrick Swayze? Yeah. I also thought Ryan Reynolds was in it for a split second. He did. Yeah. It, he, I wouldn't Scott actually had me convinced because he had just one correctly of, pegged. Yeah. So I had gotten Seth uh, Rogen. Seth, Seth Rogen. And then one of his friends, uh, the way he has his eyes in a few scenes and his like mouth, it looks just like Ryan Reynolds. And I was like, that is Ryan Reynolds. And Tyler looked and he's like, that is Ryan Reynolds. And I looked it up <laughs> and I was like, not nah, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's uh, let's jump into uh, a little bit of the plot by plot. Zach, do you want to take us away? I'll try. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the movie starts with Donnie, uh, like asleep in the middle of a road, and I'm not completely sure why he's there or if that's <laughs> yeah, the that end of the movie or the beginning. But regardless, so he he like gets up on a bike and he starts riding home, um, and we hear the killing moon. Echo in the and it was. I was going to make a point about this. Uh, I thought that it was interesting. Just some of the music selections. Yeah, yeah. Because we have Echo and the Bunnymen. Ah, Bunnymen, Bunny Man. Yeah, Frank. And yeah. then we have Tears for Fears, and fear is such a huge theme of the movie. Yeah. Um. Before that is super interesting, but before we blow over it, I just wanted to point out the director. Uh, we, we've talked about Richard Kelly is he was young. This was his first thing, and so that they actually shot that steady that steady cam shot of the bike. They actually mm-hmm. shot that first hmm. uh, okay. of him laying on the ground, and he was so excited that he called action twice like he was like action and then at the end of the the scene he called action instead of cut he's just so and the whole crew the the whole crew like laughed and like clapped for him and everything but he was so like excited nervous that you know his very first movie scene uh that's really wholesome it is very wholesome yeah Yeah. just like the movie yeah (laughs) just like this movie that scene like as soon as we we cut to him just laying in the road like with his bike next to him I was like, okay, this movie is going to be every bit as weird as I've heard. Of. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, you knew. I knew like, right what then. You were in for yeah. sets the tone well. Yeah. So, so he's riding back into town, and we have this kind of cool, like, music video esque type scene where we have the the Killing the Moon playing in the background, and so it kind of, uh, you know, um, I, I'm blanking on the word I'm trying to use, but uh, it shows that this is going to be an 80s movie. Like mm-hmm. it has the 80s vibe. You know, we have the 80s music going. Um, he comes home and then he sits down for dinner and they kind of make a point. Um, I think they even have like on this like little like notepad that they have on the fridge. It says like, where is Donnie? Yeah. And so it's kind of like this implied thing that like Donnie is weird and he's goes off on his own and no one ever has any idea where he is. He's just kind of this troubled suffering kid but they're so lax about him and like especially we'll get into like things about him in the past like i don't know how they could allow this like they're just like his mom later in the like at one point like not long after the scene is like where do you go at night yeah yeah my mom never would have not known where i was going at night she would have never and, let you yeah, go out and right known where you were going yeah well and i i think they realize that it's that he's it's implied but i think they know that he's like sleepwalking they like, I don't think they think that he's like consciously leaving the house in the middle of the night. Um, but he's, you know, we, we learn early on that he, you know, has a therapist that he's, you know, taking he's medication, on, yeah, he's on medication. He's had a troubled past. Yeah. He burned down an abandoned house, I believe. Yeah. It's just like, you know, lock the door so he doesn't walk out when he's sleepwalking parents. He'd unlock it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just let him go burn down another building. 
What can you do? You gotta <laughs> let the door. You gotta let your kids be kids. All right, right. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. <laughs> but this whole family is a very like uh, they're pretty lax. They're family. pretty lax they really family. Are. Yeah, they're letting their kids just like scream the f word at each other at the dinner at table. the dinner yeah. table. Yeah, and then uh, uh, did we talk about Maggie Gyllenhaal being in this movie? Not yet. His uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's sister is playing his sister in the movie, which mm-hmm. I I like Maggie Gyllenhaal too. So I was mm-hmm. super happy to see that. I was like, hey, this is gonna be a weird movie. Love Jake Gyllenhaal. Like Maggie Gyllenhaal, and like, I feel like, ever, like I just built my hopes up. It, like you consistently were like, like, okay, oh, like, this is gonna this be good. Is, this, this is gonna be, fine. be good. This be fine. Like this is checking really good boxes for yeah. me. Yeah, but so. he did wake up in the middle of the road, so I yeah. can't. You yeah, know, I know what I'm in for. Yeah, I'm yeah, not gonna get my own. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal actually, this was. Uh, I'm pretty sure this was her film debut. Um, and when Jake had signed on, somebody told Richard Kelly, oh, well, Jake actually has a sister who's done some theater work and she's pretty good. And he was like, great, like let's cast her as the sister so that I don't have to like direct someone to like have a brother sister relationship. And, uh, she killed it. She does a great job. I mean, she doesn't have a big role, um, but she is very believable. She does it very well. And, and this was a great springboard for her. Mm-hmm. So later that night, Donnie goes to bed and he's woken up by Frank. Frank is this weird, demented looking bunny. Or I guess you could say he's, it's just a man in this like demented looking bunny suit, but it's a creepy suit. Like mm-hmm. you've yeah. probably seen it. It's like this creepy metal mask. Even before I'd seen the movie, I knew what Frank looked like just mm-hmm. from seeing the DVD and Blockbuster and stuff like that. So maybe you well, don't. And, and uh, there's a production house now called Darko. That, really? Yeah. Yeah. That, that. Uh, that that's the logo. So oh. you've seen it on other movies Interesting. In, as a title card. Yeah. So he, he wakes uh, Donnie up and he, he has a weird, like really creepy voice. Um, and he like leads Donnie out of the house and it kind of looks like Donnie's like in this like weird sleepwalking trance or whatever like that. But he leads him to this golf course and pretty much in this scene, he's telling Donnie that the, the world is going to end in 28 days. And he gives him like the amount of time, like down to the seconds, like when the world is going to end. And I don't remember if he tells him anything else, but basically like Donnie just sleeps the rest of the night on the golf course. Really the main purpose is like he, he tells Donnie the world is going to end in 28 days. And Donnie looks like, like in his sleepwalking state and like in a lot of other scenes, like I don't know why he looks like such a dork, like such a doofy, like hunched over, like weird smile on his face. And he has this weird voice. Actually, we didn't use that scene for the opening, but when they're talking and I was like, why is he sound so amusing? Well, yeah, we'll get to that part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the next morning Donnie wakes up and one of his, uh, one of Donnie's best friend's dads is out golfing and he goes and he finds Donnie on the golf course and he's golfing with this man named Jim Cunningham who ends up becoming important later in the Played movie. Played by, uh, Patrick Swayze. Yeah, Patrick Swayze. Um, and so Donnie had just spent the night on the golf course. He goes home, he gets ready for school and they're getting ready for school and then that's when we meet his friends um, oh wait, no! No, I, I, I you missed a huge part. You I'm missed sorry. the main part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So he he comes back home from the golf course. Yeah, and finds uh, his house is destroyed. Yeah. So that night, uh, this character uh, we Frank Frank. Right. Well, this is I don't know if you guys realize this. Um, when Donnie leaves the house. 
uh, we see him leave and we see this red Camaro drive away. And that's Frank. That's Frank. Mm -hmm. And he was on the date with the sister. Oh, I did not realize that. No, I didn't. So he was on the date with the sister. I knew you could see him, but I didn't, Uh I didn't connect that. So he was on, he had just taken, uh, uh, Donnie's sister out and Mm -hmm. she had just come back home and all of a sudden a jet engine falls through the roof of the house. And it crashes through right through where Donnie's room is. Like yeah. right on his bed. Yeah. And so essentially Frank saves Donnie's life. He lures him out of the house mm-hmm. and he escapes death because of that. And so he comes home the next morning to find that his house is completely destructed and um, or destroyed. <laughs> and they're going to send them in and uh, put them up in a hotel for like a week or so. So then he goes to school and like his friends are like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. Like, you're- well, I, I think another thing worth mentioning is that nobody knows where this plane engine came yeah, from. The FAA, yeah, the FAA has no clue where this jet engine came from. There's mm-hmm. no missing planes and no missing engines from any plane. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so he goes to school and is like, everyone's heard about this and it's like a crazy thing and they meet Cheddar. Which I don't know about you guys, but did like did the it feel like the movie was playing Chet up to be this really important character and she just like never really was? No, I thought that they were just being mean to her for no reason. They are being mean, yeah, but and, like, like there's was, so many scenes where it's like we see her like ominously like thinking about stuff and then just like she's gonna yeah. be important and she isn't. She's not, yeah. yeah. That I wasn't thinking that at that point, but I guess maybe later. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. At later. that point, I was like, okay, this is just showing what a what a cool dude Donnie is. He's <laughs> he's smoking cigarettes and bullying his little sister's friends. Yeah, how he? I mean, he's pretty. His friend at least is pretty racist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Defends this her, is like actually. Asian. That's you're true. right. He, he does. does defend her. Yeah. He's like, go back to China. Yeah. <laughs> Did that part didn't age well? No, um, it didn't age well. But uh. Yeah, so then they get to school, they pop out from the back of the bus, and then we have another kind of music video-esque scene with Tears for Fears, Head Over Heels. So this was uh, this was a, a one-shot, mm-hmm. uh, which we uh, talked about uh, last week. And uh, I'll just say real quick that watching this movie for the first time, this was the scene where I was just like, Okay, this is a cool movie. Yeah, like, I'm in. I really like. You this wanted right to be now. Donnie, like smoking cigarettes and popping out of the back of the bus and having racist friends. Yeah, like, yeah, that was your dream. After that part with the head head over heels part. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the the uh, director of photography, who, like I mentioned, was was a much more experienced, you know, filmmaker, uh, really didn't think that this was going to be plausible to pull off this one shot to this Tears for Fears song. Um, especially since they didn't even yet have the rights to use the song, but hmm. but in in Kelly's mind, this was to this song, and so uh, on their location scout, uh, they you know walked through like okay, like this is how difficult this is going to be, and everyone kind of kept trying to convince Kelly to just cut this completely. Really? Um, like everyone, Drew Barrymore, the DP, like everyone was trying to like gently trying to convince him to cut this out because they just felt like it was pointless. And so they ended up doing the, doing the take and, and it's a steady cam shot. And so the camera, you know, turns 90 degrees coming out of the bus and follows through. And we, you know, kind of get introduced very briefly to a lot of these different characters that are going to become important later. Like Seth Rogan. 
like Seth it, Rogen. Was he the one that was doing cocaine in the hallway? I think he's yeah, holding his yeah. and his friend is doing yeah. cocaine yeah. off of Seth's that's knife. That's just, yeah. just a bold place to pull out your knife right and do in cocaine. Right in the hall. Right yeah. in the hall. As like class is like just getting in session. Everybody's in the hallway. Teachers are in the hallway. Like yeah. the principal's there. Yeah. And so the only two people who were in the hallway from the crew at the time was uh, Kelly and uh, the steady cam operator. And they're literally walking through and, and Kelly has to call out when he wants a speed ramp to happen. He has to yell ramp uh, when he wants, you know, there to be like where it speeds up and mm-hmm. then like slows down, speeds up. And so he's literally walking through going ramp. And then, you know, that way the editor knows how to make this all happen. And when they finished it, that shoot, they ran it over to the editor. The editor cut it together and the editor loved it, him like personally. And so he put it on a VHS, sent it down, sent it back. And they pulled everyone into Kelly's uh, little trailer and watched it. And everyone in the crew was like, okay, I get it. That's that was awesome. really cool. It's a great scene. It's a I love super that awesome scene. scene. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot happens uh, during this day of school. Um, like you said, we're introduced to some different characters. So we're introduced to Gretchen, mm-hmm. um, played by Jenna Malone. Mm-hmm. She comes in. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, in her introduction, I this was when I was like, I don't really like Drew Barrymore's character. <laughs> that was a weird scene, I and I don't like that scene. So weird. When she walks in, and then she's like, where do I sit? And then Drew Barrymore's like, whatever boy you think is the cutest, sit, sit by Sit next to, yeah. That's a weird scene, and that's kind and of And then one of she those... doesn't, the girl never says anything. She just makes eye contact with Donnie, and then she, Drew Barrymore tells another girl, get up and move so <laughs> yeah. she can sit there. Yeah, I where was, did she go to? If there was no available seats, <laughs> she just stood. I she, guess. Yeah, yeah. She just <laughs> for the rest of the semester, stood <laughs> in the side of the class. Like, all right. I mean, she probably took Donnie's seat after like a couple days. <laughs> Depends. I don't, I don't think what? so. But <laughs> Wait, why? Why would she take Donnie's? Oh, he's dead. Uh, yeah, yeah. He dies spoilers. Forgot. Spoiler. Alert. We're spoiling the entire well, movie. No. So. If when he died, this would have never happened. We'll get to it. We'll get to that later. So we do have, uh, I don't think we've like totally pointed this out. Seth Rogen is in the movie and this was his very first. First movie he's ever been in. Yeah. Yeah. And he killed it, you know? Yeah. He had a couple really great lines of dialogue. Yeah. What was his first line? Well, so uh, we're skipping ahead a little bit, um, but like after this day of school, um, that night, I think Frank wakes Donnie up again during the middle of the night and tells him to go destroy like the pipes in the to flood the school to flood the school. Yes. Which so, also, I guess they were talking about a, and this might come up later, but they're talking about that book in that short story in class where they were, the students were breaking into yeah. an old man's house, destroying it by <laughs> destroying the water main and mm-hmm. flooding it. Yeah. And so that night he goes and he, he destroys the pipes that floods the school. And he also, uh, just, cements an act an axe right into like their mascot, mascot. yeah it was like a big solid brass statue yeah and so they're just saying like how the heck could it get in there um which just kind of shows really the powers that like frank is kind of like or that that donnie has and we can kind of get into that a little bit because that plays into the like the mythology of the movie but so anyways the school gets flooded um school is canceled and they kind of find that out as they're on their way to school 
And so Gretchen is just standing like at the bus stop or something like that. And that's when Seth Rogen and the bully friend come up and they're walking around and the bully, I don't even know the other bully's name, but he's like making some weird remarks. And Seth Rogen's first line. Oh, oh, the, you don't know who the bully is? Not in real life. No, I don't know the actor's name. Uh, He's not an actor. He's what, what band is he? He's the front man for a band. Really? Yeah. I have no idea. I didn't know that. I'll, uh, Queen. You'll find it out. I'll find it's Freddie out. Freddie Mercury. Oh, it's Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah. He came back to life mm-hmm. for this movie. <laughs> for this movie. Um, yeah, so anyways, he's he's make, making some crude remarks to Gretchen, and we haven't heard Seth Rogen speak a line of dialogue yet. Keep in mind, this is Seth Rogen's first movie he's ever been in, and Seth Rogen walks up, and he tell Gretchen says, I like your boobs. First line of dialogue for Seth Rogen in a movie. In a, in a movie. It really sets up his whole career. On brand. <laughs> it really does. It's so on brand. There's a part of me that wonders if uh, he was even supposed to have any lines <laughs> or if he even knew they were filming. Uh, that might have just been sad. He just said it. Yeah. <laughs> he just thought they were like, just like off camera, just like, hey, by the way, I like your boobs. Yeah. Just like, you know, good job. Yeah. Good job with that. That's a very Seth Rogen thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, Donnie kind of comes in and rescues Gretchen from this moment and they end up walking home together and kind of having this interesting conversation. It's revealed that Gretchen, her her dad or her stepdad or something like that, has had some like mental issues and has had a violent um, past and even assaulted her mom. I think like stabbed her mom. He stabbed her like four times in the yeah. chest, which is I think Seth Rogen's only other line. Yeah, yeah. Later in the movie, he'll go like, didn't your dad stab your mom? And then Richard Kelly's like, perfect nailed it like yeah. you don't need to say a single other thing in this entire movie perfect perfect uh you know opening performance for you exactly yeah um anyways uh she says like yeah my dad has mental issues and donnie gets really excited and he's like oh really like i have mental issues too like which ones does your dad have and it kind of just sets up the donnie or it reinforces that donnie has a lot of mental issues going on they end up deciding to start dating during this conversation as well it was just like that was like talking about like the clunky conversation, which I mean, I guess is like, yeah. like awkward high school. Like, do you want to go with me? And yeah. she's like, where do you want to go? Yeah. And he's like, no, here we say, do you want to go with me? And then he never really explains what he means. And she's like, okay. Yeah. There's some awkward dialogue for sure. Like you think she doesn't realize that they were boyfriend and girlfriend. At that yeah. Point? Maybe not. <laughs> she's like, okay, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> I think she, she I think she, yeah. She got I was the kidding, idea. But yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely read that as more just like Donnie's awkward. He is an awkward kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like he's, this is probably his first girlfriend. He's probably never asked anybody out. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, yeah. Another thing that happened too in the couple days that we see them at school is we see um, Samantha, who is Donnie's younger sister. And she's like really young. She's like 11 probably. Yeah. 10 or 11. Like she's like really young. Um, she's dancing with this other group of girls. We see them dancing and it looks like they're da- like performing this like choreographed number and we meet, I want to say her name's Kitty, right? The crazy I, the old teacher? lady. Kitty. Yeah. The, Kitty yeah, Farmer. Ki- Kitty. Kitty's kind of like the coach or like that's one of also the, her name and Malcolm in the middle. Is she in that? Yeah. I never watched yeah, that show. Oh, interesting. Uh, by the way, I wanted to just real quick. Uh, he's the front man of Phantom Planet. I've never even heard of them. They they have that they had that one really big song California that was the like the theme song of the TV show The OC. Oh, interesting. California, here we come, hmm. right back where we started from. You don't know that song? Nope. 
Wow. Okay. Well, I know that song. I would have guessed it was Red Hot Chili Peppers, though. So. Oh, fair. Similar sounding band, to be honest. Because they have so many songs about California. It just sounds like Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, like they, they do have a, a similar sound. Phantom Planet does, I would say, to Red Hot Chili Peppers. But gotcha. yeah, he's the front man for Phantom Planet. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So we meet Kitty um, and she's, yeah, also one of the teachers. She's like one of the chauffeurs or something like that to this group of little girl dancers called Sparkle Motion. She's also the gym teacher. I, she's not With, the gym she teacher. She is because I was so confused because they were talking about it. He said he told the gym teacher this and I was like, they're all sitting oh, yeah, in desks right. every time they're in their class. That so I looked weird. it up and she's the gym teacher. Yeah, she is the, they, they talk about that she's the gym teacher. Slash disciple of. Uh, Patrick Swayze. Yeah, Jim Cunningham. Jim Cunningham, yeah. That makes it even weirder that in Jim, she's showing them this infomercial for this like guy. His name's Jim Cunningham, and he's just has this weird belief system and he like wrote a book about it, how like basically everything in life is boiled down to either like love or fear. And there's this spectrum of, I forgot what it's called, but like you make every decision either out of like some combination of like love and fear and like to succeed in life, you need to like get all the way into the love side. Embrace and like, the love and reject yeah, the fear. Yeah, reject the fear. And basically like any bad thing is just like you're afraid. Basically, It's just, it's a bunch of BS and Donnie calls it out really quickly and everyone thinks it's a bunch of BS, but Kitty is so adamant that they watch it. And the Donnie challenges her and says like, basically this is dumb because there's so many different more human emotions than just love and fear and she is just like watch the video pretty much and then you hear the uh or you're introduced to the scene that we cut the line from from the beginning of this podcast basically tells her to go shove it up her anus I, forcibly insert it into her anus I, yeah. the dad is just so chill like he, <laughs> he, he's laughing at that <laughs> yeah it's hilarious apparently richard kelly was too while they were filming that scene <laughs> he just thought it was so hilarious that they had to boot him off the set <laughs> because he was scene. 24 yeah. <laughs> well like next to i like your boobs this is just the best line that we wrote for this movie you think he wanted more seth rogan in the movie but he just couldn't convince anybody else of it? <laughs> probably it's like i like this guy well uh richard kelly this was one thing in particular that uh he said was absolutely ripped out of his own life uh, when he really? was in high school, uh, he had a gym teacher that like was super into this weird new age, like, you know, huh, self help like thing. And like all of this, except for the outburst and uh -huh. the like, you know, uh, like he kind of like rewrote his own story to make himself a little more badass. But, uh, but yeah, like all of that was literally ripped out of his high school experience. That was another like, plot line of the movie that I was like, why, what does this really serve for us? I did kind of like it when he was mm -hmm. yelling at him, but, or like when he's yelling, but I was like, does this have any bearing on the movie? It kind of, it kind of does. I mean, I guess not if you're just following the logic that the movie sets up a little bit, but like doing a little bit of the research about the movie later, there's so much about this movie. Like it, it is hard to dissect it in like a timely manner. And you know what? It's hard to dissect it without a book and a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> that's, much. That's fair. But I, I think that there are a lot of other movies that are like that. Like I think Inception, you mm -hmm. have to like Inception, you have to talk about for four hours after you watch the movie to really wrap your head around what happened. Um, so I, I think that that's a like, like uh, a mind bender, you know? Yeah, I think there's a difference between talking about and researching though. 
I'm going to try to speed this up like a little bit. Donnie, so throughout these 28 days, and we're getting like a countdown, like we'll, we'll kind of have like an end of a chapter and it'll tell us like how many days left until October 30th. Um, throughout this time, Donnie kind of starts seeing some things. He's being frequently visited by Frank and he's seeing these like weird blob sphere things leave people and like lead them on their path. Yeah, he's he's learning a little bit about time travel. He's exactly. learning a little bit about like determinism, um, you know, which is to say, like, uh, you know, there are things that you know determine outcomes, um, and some like really heady concepts. And he's uh, learning a lot about this from uh, with the help of another one of his teachers, played by Noah Weil. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, the old lady. We didn't talk about. Well, yet. I was gonna like set that Grandma up. Yeah. yeah, in one of their conversations, the science teacher No while hands him the book that Grandma Death wrote, and her name is something Sparrow, Roberta Sparrow. Roberta I think. Sparrow. Yeah, but she's like this crazy old lady that everyone in the town knows as Grandma Death, and she has really crazy person hair. She looks like uh, she looks like Christopher Lloyd as a woman. Much. <laughs> yeah, but a but, little older. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and slightly less crazy. Yeah, not as crazy as Doc, obviously. I mean, she goes and checks her mail every 15 seconds. Still not as crazy as I think that Christopher Lloyd Lloyd is probably more crazy than Doc. (laughs) Just the actor. He had to tone it down. Um, But anyways, she had written this book called The Philosophy of Time Travel. And so the teacher gives that to Donnie. He's like reading this and realizing that a lot of what this book is talking about is happening to him. And so um, I think he's kind of starting to realize that like, everything that is happening with Frank and whatnot is like really happening. And it's, he's, it's not just him being crazy because that was actually kind of one of my thoughts when I was watching this again, it was like, is this all just happening in his head? Is right. he just crazy? That is one of my thoughts still. Like I was watching it and I was like, everybody, like everything online is like this. And I'm like, I feel like it's possible that this just didn't happen. It's definitely uh, an opinion that I like, entertain like it's i i think it's certainly plausible that he's just crazy and it's just happening and that's the fun of the movie Mm -hmm. i think yeah that like you can kind of just come away with a bunch of different theories um but regardless uh yeah he's doing some some research on that and frank is kind of sending him on different missions we have this scene where he's on a date with his girlfriend now gretchen and they're in the movie theater watching evil dead and this was one of my favorite scenes. It's mm-hmm. such a creepy scene. He looks over and Frank is just there. And he is kind of back into one of his trances. And he says, like, why do you wear that stupid bunny suit? Yeah, that honestly, like, <laughs> almost took me out of it. Where, like, like, the just, way, just, like the, how the way he delivers he it. He's like, why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? Why well, are you wearing that stupid I think it's bunny the, suit? I think it's the, like, he's indicating, like, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, the actor, is trying to indicate to us that he's in this like trance. trance. He's not, he's not himself in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, but it was like one of my favorite moments it, cause it's just so creepy and weird and eerie and kind of makes my skin crawl as he asks Frank that. And Frank looks over and says, why do you wear that stupid man suit? I thought that was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. it was just I like, like it. Yeah. The, the, I think the way he delivers it and the, we have this creepy choir singing in the background and it just was like, Oh, this is creepy. Um, but then he asks Frank to take off his, his mask. And so Frank does, and we see that it's like a teenage boy under the mask. And 
I don't remember which eye it is, but one of his eyes has like right his eye. right eye, yeah. dried blood, like streaming down. And the eyes like messed up. It's protruding. And I don't know if you guys realize, but this guy was also in Independence Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You noticed sun. that? Yeah. Yeah. But that's the eye because that's the eye that uh, he was hitting in the mirror. Yeah. The that and yeah. it's and the eye that he shoots later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I thought it was the eye, not the I think it's both. Oh, okay. It's like it, it's things, it's yeah. intentional that like Donnie's stabbing the mirror. Mm-hmm. But that's the first time we see Frank, um, or we think at least that we see his human self. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if it's your first time watching it, you're kind of thinking like it's just a random human man, and I don't know who it is. And we kind of find out later that, that is not really what I thought because I was like, that dude looks like he should be dead. Well, yeah, but like <laughs> more so, you don't have the thought that this is a character you have already seen in the movie. Oh, okay, okay. Um, the, I just thought it was a random actor who's just playing the human version of Frank. We find out later that like Frank is a live person in this timeline. Like Tyler said, he's taking the sister out on dates. He's like kind of a part of the social social circle a little bit. He probably goes to the school. He does, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyways, in this moment, he then has Donnie leave. And he, because earlier in the movie, Donnie had found Jim Cunningham's wallet. And so he knows his address. He goes to Jim's house. He, Frank has um, Donnie go to Jim's house and he burns it down. So he burns down the house. And then um, the next day as the police are investigating it, they find out that Jim had a whole kitty porn dungeon. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I yeah. like this, this dude's just like, you know, like crazy self-help guy well and to your point uh jake i think that that whole timeline exists or that whole thing with jim cunningham exists so that we get this sense that like frank knows things that he that no one else knows and is like like he tells donnie to go burn down the house because he's a bad guy i guess i didn't make that connection because i was thinking because we kind of skipped over the encounter they have where like he's come to their school and Donnie's just yelling at him in like in the Q and A. Oh yeah, and yeah. so I just thought that this was and because like still in my mind this is his hallucination. So I thought his hallucination is telling him to go burn down the house because he hates the guy. You right. Know? So I thought it was his mind, but then I was like, oh okay, I guess something happened. There. Yeah, like, he was like, a bad guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little bit later, um, and let me know if I've missed something important. But basically, it gets to the point where um, the little sister samantha her dance team has like qualified for some performance out of town whatever so they have to go fly kitty cannot go because i think she's like petitioning to like save the guy save she save, has, save jim, jim cunningham's him. reputation she has to get him out of here. jail yeah exactly exactly yeah and so she can't chauffeur the group so she asked donnie's mom mrs darko to go and so she reluctantly goes with the group and the dad is out on business or something like that and so um Donnie and then his sister Maggie Joan Hall, they decide to have a party. And so they have a party, everyone comes, and then we realize that Frank is at this party too. Um, one of the characters says, like, hey, where's Frank? And someone says, like, he went to go get beer. And as they're walking by, uh, you see like handwriting on the fridge on their little whiteboard that says, like, Frank was here, went to go get beer. And it's the same handwriting that the bunny Frank did late earlier in the movie when Donnie with the axe in the mascot. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because he has that message. Yeah, basically. Um, and I don't remember what gets them out of the house. I don't remember why Donnie and Gretchen had to leave. He just decides, I think that it's time to go. Right. 
Yeah. It was the end of the world. Like, the clock was like, almost done. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because yeah. this is on October 30th. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the world is ending. They have to go, and Donnie he needs wants to, to talk go to find Grandma Sparrow, Death. yeah. Yeah, so they drive all the way there, and it turns out that Seth Rogen and the other bully are just there. Mm-hmm. I think when I was reading it, it said they were there robbing the house, which oh, okay. I did not pick up on at all. I didn't either. But they just had, like, socks on their head that were totally see-through, which seems like a total Seth and Rogen And he had, dump. like, a machete. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought that they were just waiting to jump him. But why would they be there? Because like, that's what it felt like to me. It's like, they're there for him? Like, how? Why? Y- you're right, and I had that same thought, but, like, after doing some of the research on the logic and the, it kind of makes sense maybe why they're there. But if they're, they're robbing the house, that makes even more sense. Yeah. But regardless, they're there. They jump them. Um, I just assumed they were just going to mess with grandma, grandma death. death. Yeah. Just up yeah. to no I good. It's they Halloween thing because they said, wait, you called the cops. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't, that wouldn't have been the case if they were following them the whole time. Like they right. Seen them not call the cops. Right. They yeah. couldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah. So they like push Gretchen over and she falls and must've like hit her head or something, or she's like having issues breathing. And so um, we see then in the distance, Frank, the human Frank and one of his buddies, they see what's going on, and they drive over in their car. They end up running Gretchen over. Yeah, killing her. And she was avoiding her. the grandma death. Like, he didn't want to hit grandma death, so he swerved. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. Grandma yeah. death is outside, yeah. And so he swerves to not hit grandma death, and he ends up running Gretchen over. And then, I guess we skipped over, Donnie got led to his dad's gun from his weird, that's right. his weird chest liquid mm-hmm. uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. And so he has a gun, doesn't go for it when he's got a, the, like he's getting mugged or getting attacked. Yeah. But he just pulls it out and kills Frank. Yeah. He shoots Frank right through the eye, which is obviously a callback to the theater when we see his bloody eye. Yeah. I think I, at that point I was like, okay, I think he just made the connection and he's figured like he figured he has to kill Frank for like some this reason. is his destiny. Yeah. Determinism. Yeah. Could yeah. be. Yeah. Um, but then pretty much at this point, uh, Donnie goes kind of back up to, I think the same hill that the movie starts on. Yeah. And he's pretty much figured out like, this is his destiny. Like he's just going to reset things. Mm-hmm. And so as we, we see, um, Samantha and Mrs. Darko, they're on the plane back home from the dance. And then the engine gets ripped out from the plane and Donnie sends it back. How does he do that? We can get to that, but he sends it back to October 2nd. And then we go back to October 2nd and Donnie's in bed back on the same night and the engine crashes through and kills him. And And he laughs. He laughs as it's coming down and it kills him. And the movie ends with the Darko family standing outside and they're crying and Gretchen rides up on a bike like she had this like, like almost like it took her there, like something supernatural took her there and like she it's implying that she like has this connection to the family mm-hmm. um and she waves at the mom and the mom waves back and then we have this was a cool little, little bit of trivia too it's kind of like another music video-esque uh moment where we're seeing all these different characters and we even see frank too in his room and he's like wiping his right eye and he has all these bunny drawings next to him but we're seeing just these like different characters in this moment of that night, just kind of having like revelations a little bit. And we hear this cover of Tears for Fears, Mad World. And apparently they wanted U2, this song mm-hmm. from U2. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get it. So the composer just had to cover Mad World with like one of his collaborators. Mm-hmm. And it ended up 
like like going to the top of the charts in like England or something like that. Oh yeah, a different country. Um, but I I remember hearing that song even after or before Donnie Darko. Like oh yeah, this cover that everyone cover. loved. Yeah, yeah, it's a massive cover. And so that was really cool. bigger than the original song, probably. Yeah, we even see in that moment Jim Cunningham is in his house and he's crying. And um, I had read online that apparently it's like canon from the director. Maybe it's in the director's cut that like later in the uh, later in that storyline, Jim Cunningham ends up killing himself. Mm. Um, almost like he is so regretful of who he's become. Yeah. And his secret dies with him. They never find that out. Mm. And that's how the movie ends. Uh, kind of like interesting. I've seen it. Uh I haven't seen the whole director's cut and I don't know if this is in the director's cut, but, uh, or not, but originally they show, uh, Donnie impaled by something from the jet engine. Like, like if the jet engine falls in his room and then the camera like pans around the jet engine and you see him in his bed, just impaled. And they ended up cutting it out because Kelly thought it was a little too, that's probably a solid call. I think a, little, some, a little excessive. Yeah. A little excessive. Yeah. I've, I've seen it. Like I've seen that, like, so they You've shot that it scene. Uh, and it is pretty like interesting. It was a little bit like, Ooh. Yeah. So to kind of like get into the lore a little bit, which I did not get from the movie. I had to like do some research as well afterwards, but apparently everything that happens is um, happening within a tangent universe. Yeah. And apparently Roberta Sparrow has done this before. Yeah. Presumably. And that's presumably what drove her crazy. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is they're like, Oh, like it's very uncommon, but also two people within close proximity of each other have experienced these tangent universes. That didn't add up to me. Well, I, this is a crazy movie to like, try yeah. to like figure the logic out anyways about. So, yeah. but she, I guess wrote this book because she knew what happened. And then Donnie. Yeah is figuring out that their tangent universe and the logic follows that like somehow our timelines or universes can become unstable. And so tangent universes will like kind of branch off. And whenever that happens, there's an artifact from the primary universe that ends up in the tangent universe. And that was the jet engine and it needs to be returned to the primary universe by whoever the receiver is who ended up being Donnie and the receiver in this tangent universe always has supernatural powers, like uh, ec extreme strength. So it's like him putting the axe in the mascot, manipulation of like elements like water and fire. So he's able to burn down the house. He's able to flood the school and whatnot. And then like see visions, like he obviously was able to, and he's able to kind of see like people on their life paths that like weird sphere things. There's the manipulated living. And it's like the manipulated living will like, always try to oppose the receiver for some reason. So I, I kind of helping the receiver. I think some of them can, but there's others that will always try to like oppose him. And I kind of took that as Seth Rogen and the bully. Like they'll, you kind of watch the movie and you're like, why are they, why do they have such a hard on for Jake Gyllenhaal? Like, why are they always trying to like just mess with him specifically so much? And that makes sense. They're trying to oppose him. And then you have the manipulated dead. So Frank dies in the tangent universe, which then like frees him from his linear, pathway mm -hmm. and he's able to kind of go back in time and he's able to appear to Donnie and give him visions and help guide him through this to reset everything because if you don't reset the tangent universe it will open up a wormhole in the primary primary universe and destroy the primary universe and so basically by the end of the movie Donnie uses his telekinesis to send the artifact back 
the primary universe and it kills him in the process in the primary universe. And so like the end scene that we see is in the primary universe. And I think everything else is in the tangent universe. Let me, uh, back that up just a little bit, just to say like, I obviously did not do any of that research. How I kind of took the end of the movie is that he sort of realizes that like, um, that, you know, from his own research that, uh, he can manipulate all of this. Mm -hmm. And so he just decides to let himself die in order to save Gretchen. That was my, before I did any of that research, that was my same thought was like, he came to this conclusion that the only way to save and I'm assuming his own mom and daughter and sister yeah. too. Although I don't know that he knows that. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, yeah. but to save Gretchen, he has to die. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he's laughing as the jet engine is about to fall through is he is, it's almost like a, like the, like I did it, but also sort of just like the, the banality of it all to him that he's just like, whatever, you know, yeah. like, but like that, that's what, cause he knows he knows what's going to happen because he's actively choosing to die in order to avoid this whole timeline. Yeah. In which Gretchen inevitably dies. And that's what I like about this movie is like, I'm, I don't take this hard fast like stance on any theory. Right. It's yeah. just fun to think of the theories. Yeah. I like the theory that like, he's just crazy and it all is just happening in his head. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I didn't think it was that fun, but you know. Scott, favorite line, favorite part. Why are you wearing that man suit? <laughs> that that and I like your boobs are my two favorite lines. It's a solid line. Uh, I we didn't get into it because of how crass it was, but I did really enjoy their conversation about the Smurfs. <laughs> yeah, it's a really crass scene. It is a very crass scene, but it is. But Jake Gyllenhaal puts them in their place. Puts them in their place with some really uh, some good Smurf accurate Smurf, Smurf lore. lore. Yeah, Smurf lore. I love the theater scene, but I think my favorite scene is the head over heels music video mm. shot. Oh, that's for sure my favorite scene. I, I'll go back and watch it on YouTube, just independent of the movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, and and yeah, speed ramps were tough. They weren't used that commonly. The uh, you know, turning the camera 90 degrees or 180 degrees because um, it was upside down. So 180 degrees, but then still tracking uh, all of it. Like it, it's just a, it's terrific. Um, my favorite line though is uh, when he's talking to the science teacher um, and he says, um, we can't continue this conversation because I don't want to lose my job. Mm -hmm. um, just like the, the reality of like Donnie's the f like, and we didn't talk at all about like his experience with his therapist who, you know, yeah. isn't really helping a ton, but just the, the reality in that moment that Donnie's completely alone on this journey. Hmm. Like no matter what, like he's, he's alone. That's even what, what's her name? Grandma death says to him, right? She says like, everybody dies alone. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. on the earth. Mm-hmm. So I guess that is, that's something even that he talked about with his therapist, right? That mm -hmm. he's like, all right, I don't want to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a, a major theme of the movie, but that's the moment for me where like he just realizes how like, or we realize, I guess, how alone he is that no one's going to really help him. Yeah. 
Jake, any favorite line or favorite part? I talked about the Smurf, oh, the Smurf thing. thing. Okay. Well, uh, I don't have anything for this, but does anybody have any recast? Uh, uh, John Heater instead <laughs> of Jake Gyllenhaal. And then if we get like, uh, what's his name? Diedrich. Diedrich. Uh, yeah, to play ba- Jim Bader, Cunningham. To play Jim Cunningham. Yeah. And, uh, apparently, let me just say, apparently Richard Kelly had said that Patrick Swayze was like super cool about that yeah. whole character. Yeah. Like he was worried that he'd be a little stingy about it. And apparently he like got the character understood. He was like ready to do something that was a little off brand, wore his own clothes the entire time. So, uh, they, they shot out, uh, the infomercial or not the infomercial, but the like weird motivational video. Oh thing yeah. Where that, he spanks a little boy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so they shot that at Patrick Swayze's house before, <laughs> before principal photography and um yeah uh, patrick swayze's wife like got out his old 80s clothes and was like i think you should wear the pink eyes odd with the like like and <laughs> was like funny. super cool like she was super awesome with the crew like like yeah there was a, a really like uh fond experience for richard kelly working with patrick swayze on that jake aren't you glad you watched back to the future before this so you could understand. So I could understand it. time travel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I should have watched Back to the Future before I watched Endgame, and then I would have got all the jokes. Speaking yeah. of Endgame, my recast is the entire oh, no. Endgame cast. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I'm glad that you have just you know. I actually have a, called it for what it is. I think Logan Lerman could have played Donnie Darko really well. I don't know. Oh who that is. yeah, he's in Perks of Being a Wallflower. He's in Fury. Percy Jackson. He's Percy Jackson. He's in. You really don't know Logan Lerman? Have you not seen any of these movies? <laughs> no, I've seen none of those movies. Oh, gosh. I was going to see Fury. They were doing a free screening of it at my college. And then I realized that I had to wait in a three and a half hour line for it. Oh, I've seen this guy's face before. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a massive Logan Lerman fan. He's good. I really like him, too. Uh, I think that Logan Lerman, or I, I think that Dylan Minnette, hot take, I think Dylan Minnette is a poor man's Logan Lerman. I would support that yeah yeah uh like logan totally. lerman's actually a good actor and dylan minette is a good musician <laughs> but he's our friend <laughs> he is our friend we tyler and i met him at a concert dylan if you're listening uh i love your music uh but uh i did uh you asked me to go see your movie with jack black goosebumps, goosebumps. it was not good <laughs> Jack Black did a Goosebumps movie? Yeah, Yeah. with Dylan Minnette, the guy from uh, 13 Reasons Why. Huh. And we, Zach and I met Dylan Minnette like right before that movie aired and he was like, yeah, like I have this movie coming out. You should definitely go see it. So he's just like plugging his movie to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. At a concert. I would if I was an actor. I would too. I have a new movie coming out. You should go see. I would too. He was a cool guy. He was a very nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. But I hope he is listening. Me too, but uh, Logan Lerman. So cool if he was one of the definitely better. One of our tots. One of our tots. Just Dylan. <laughs> our boy Dylan. Dilly Bear. Dilly <laughs> Dilly Bear. <laughs> Are you guys close dying. too? The Scott can Danny and Dilly Bear all just <laughs> chilling. It's typically the three of us that are <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. What an odd combo. I know. <laughs> Oh man. All right. Well, uh, Zach, uh, what would you rate this movie? I'm going to rate this movie, uh, 7.5 sparkle motion dance numbers. And, uh, Scott 7.2 
edgy hipster Napoleon Dynamite hot takes. <laughs> Dude, thanks. <laughs> Jake. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it 6.5 kitty porn dungeons. And uh, I'm going to give this uh, 7.7. 7, uh, no, actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to give this 7.9 uh, uh, jet engines that dramatically change your life. Yeah, killing you is pretty changing your life. <laughs> or not, you know. I mean, depending on the you universe. Into a tangent universe. Yeah. Uh, in which you get to decide whether or not you are going to die. No, he dies either way, right? I don't know. Because sure. the universe is going to implode or something? Sure. Yeah, true. Only the the main one. But I think that the tangent one, right? He didn't die in the tangent one. This movie makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I promise I'll pick a less confusing movie next time. I don't believe you. This movie got a 73% on Rotten Potatoes. Uh, just as a reminder, the other guys gave this an 87%. And uh, IMDb gave this an eight. Uh, so we're a little under IMDb. Uh, I mean, we're under both, but I know we usually shoot for IMDb. That's uh, what we do. I'm like, how can I make this fall in line with IMDb? Yeah, I mean, we typically are. Uh, so just, you know, for point of reference, this is uh, just about as good in our opinion as uh, 500 Days of Summer and uh, just about as good as The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. A little bit worse than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That's the rough. good, the bad, and the ugly got that high? 75. Who rated it that high? It was it's an IMDb top 10 movie, Scott. <laughs> I mean, I gave it an 8.1. I gave uh, it a 9. So I rated it higher than so Donnie Darko. So you liked the good, the bad, and the ugly more than Donnie Darko? I didn't like it more. I rated it higher. You thought it was that much of a better movie? Yeah. Scott just like... Give me a look. <laughs> I didn't tell him to rate it that. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's all Jake's fault. Uh, I will say I rate things 7.9 a lot. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the column and I see that. Uh, I gave 500 Days of Summer a 7.9, Pulp Fiction a 7.9, Back to the Future a 7.9, and Ghostbusters 7.9. So apparently I think all those movies are just about as good as each other. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, hey, uh, make sure to tune in next week. Uh, we're going to be doing Scott's movie. Do you want me to say what it is? Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's why he stops talking. I don't, I don't want to give it away, you know. But we want people to watch the movie in the next week. The next one. You're my all right, least Patriot, favorite friend. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're going to be doing Scott's nomination, The Patriot, next <laughs> week. Uh, so make sure to watch that movie. Uh, it is nearly three hours yep. so uh, block Bottle out some in. time uh but jake do you have any uh any final thoughts before we go yeah you know what i'm thinking about